Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the dashing Doug Roz, the garrulous GM Gerrymander, and the kindly Kathleen Alpern. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chris and Senda, and we're going to pick a few prompts from this year's RPG A Day list and talk them out. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What is one of your favorite things to talk about with fellow gamers when you're not actually gaming? Yeah, one, one thing, though, Ange, Ange I, 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 uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the gnome pot went missing and I got it back. See, here's the gnome pot. No, and you say like you you sealed up the hole in the bottom. Wait, what? You where's? We bought a new one to replace the one you lost. Chris. But I found I found it. I will put it in storage. Senda, you can answer the question. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, things that I talk about with fellow gamers when not actually gaming. Favorite things. Mm -hmm. I, I think I have three favorite things because I have a very hard time narrowing things down to one thing. So I'll say them in brief. <laughs> I like hearing other people's gaming stories as long as they're actually interesting. Like I don't really care about what you spent your gold on in the town <laughs> for a million years. But tell me your love triangle and hate kissing. I am here for it. Um, and I really like discussing um game mechanics as they are genre enforcing um especially with people who have played or are playing in the same game as me i love that um because then we're like oh yeah and then this thing happened and and it felt like this and then the dice did the thing right um love that and then i thought that i had three and in the process of telling you those first two you lost the third one it's gone it's in the pot that chris just put in storage chris bring back the pot it has my third thing in it Oh, I, but it's so heavy. Do I have to really oh. carry it back up the stairs? Yeah, no, just come answer the question. Oh, okay. What was the question? Oh, Chris. <laughs> What's one of your favorite things to talk about with fellow gamers when you're not actually gaming? I like talking about nerd media. Like, I love talking about Marvel movies and Ted Lasso, which I guess isn't nerd media, but close enough. I mean, if you've listened to any of the uh, misdirected Mark, like, after show stuff, I mean, we often are just talking about the things that we're watching on TV and movies and whatnot. And I, uh, love breaking down and analyzing all sorts of media so i talk about that stuff constantly i do like talking about game mechanics with other gamers too but i don't know like a lot of people get mad at me because they say something and i'm like but did you think about xyz dub a b and c and they're like that's too deep for me and i'm like uh okay i'll be quiet now <laughs> sorry chris i mean i don't know i enjoyed enough that i have this podcast uh kind of talking about that stuff pandas is kicking it right now man <laughs> those those gm brain episodes are so good gnomecast listeners go listen to the pandas talking game episodes about gm brain it, they're fantastic th that topic was like a galaxy gm brain moment to think about it was like wow we're doing things we're not even thinking about i love talking about that stuff that's the answer i'm just totally promoting other shows right now when i shouldn't be it's fun <laughs> yeah thanks i appreciate it i mean no that that we promote the show the other shows that are in the misdirected mark network because they're all good shows and you should be listening to them. Yeah, you're probably. Especially since I'm in two of them and Senda's <laughs> in two of them and Chris is in two of them. And yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's valid that if you like this show, you will probably find some other stuff on the network to also like. Well, I think it's, it's it, to point out the obvious, we all like talking about things outside of gaming enough that we all do podcasts. Yes. There you go. 
Anyway, but Ange, you should answer the question too. <laughs> I love gaming war stories. Mm. And, uh, you know, like Senda, you said, you like hearing people talk about their games. And it's not the, you know, and then, and, and then I bought this much with this much gold that, you know, like, I don't want, I don't want that type of details about your character or your game, but I want to know about those fantastic moments that can only happen at a gaming table or the most abysmal, awful moments in gaming that just make you want to be a better player or be a better GM or how to handle bad players, you know, how to handle an awkward situation. I mean, we've all had them and like, I think talking about them sometimes can like help give different people better tools to deal with the bad experiences or help facilitate the good experiences. And, you know, I love that shit. I think that um, part of my enjoyment about talking about things with fellow gamers when I'm not gaming is specifically the way that we can um, teach and learn from each other. So it's hard to narrow it down to a topic more because it's the experience of being able to learn from other people's experiences and then be able to share your experiences. Um, and hopefully have like moments that work for them that are helpful to them too. Um, so again, Pandas Talking Games is basically a show where we do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I think it very importantly has to be the the back and forth. Oh yeah. It can't be the one person holding court. No. Telling us about all of their awesome gaming and their awesome experiences and just steamrolling anyone else sharing. It is a back and forth of us all sharing our experiences with gaming. Yes. Chris. I'm like so 50-50 on gaming stories. <laughs> I don't really tell a lot of them and I don't like like listening to a lot of them because people often don't tell them very well. That's a valid point. It is a valid point. Just because game stories can be cool doesn't mean that people are good at telling them. I do think though I find a lot of satisfaction in the joy that some people get in sharing their stories even when they're not the best at telling them. When you see that that excitement that's in them about gaming because of this experience they had, even if they're not quite getting along, getting across the the absolute awesomeness of this the moment when it happened, I still love when that they share that joy with me that they've had at the game at some game. There's just something that's lost in translation a lot of times when people try yes. to tell you a story from their gaming table because they often can't provide you the context. A moment that it took twelve sessions to culminate to does not hit the same to somebody telling me a 10 minute, a five minute story. But I also do think that they need to be succinct, right? Because you yes, know that they're yes. not going to have the same emotional impact. You can't spend 12 hours trying to get there. You got to be quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this could be a whole advice show about how to tell gaming stories effectively. You could tell your gaming stories, but do it this way because it'll be better. Right. We have done a Gnomecast episode on gamer war stories where we talked about some bad player situations. I want to say we did it last year. But at the same time, we could also do gamer horror stories and how to tell them well. Chris would be really good at that episode. Let's move on into our main topic. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's right. the topic? <laughs> so RPG A Day is a month-long event that happens, that has happened every August, every year since 2013. It is created by game developer David Chapman on his blog, Autocratic, although I don't think he's the one that puts together the list every year now. Um, each year, they, the list is 31 prompts, uh, and it's released for gamers to share their thoughts. I started doing them in 2017, primarily posting on my Facebook, and I kind of fell in love with the conversations they started. Uh, it was really cool to watch gamers from the different social circles I have accumulated over the years and have people 
you know, share their thoughts and their stories and, and, you know, comments on these things. This year was specifically their 10th anniversary. So they released a list of prompts matching what they did way back in 2013. Now, I didn't do 2013 because, I, as I said, I just started doing them in 2017. Um, but I thought it would be fun to bring a few of us gnomes together and talk about how we would respond to these prompts, which is why I, you know, tied up Senda and Chris and, and made them talk with or threats of getting thrown in the stew pot. God, I hope you asked us before you tied us up. That seems weird. I was going to say, at least you, you know, were careful about how tight this is. I know. I can still I feel the blood that. in my wrists. That's right. good. Yeah. I can wiggle my fingers. So what is the first RPG you played this year? I mean, it was 5th edition D&D because I was running two 5th edition D&D campaigns on Fridays. There you go. <laughs> That's it. What about you, Sunda? Well, so it's interesting because I don't know what came first, a Thursday night or a Saturday night, a, 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 a Saturday night or an every other Thursday night. So it was either Cortex Prime or it was Brindlewood Bay. I'm not sure. <laughs> They're both great games. What about you, Ange? I'm pretty sure it was fifth edition for me. And I think it was the kids game. Um, I think it was the the moment we were able to grab them all and get them before they all headed back to school or whatever. And, and so it was D&D. And if it wasn't that D&D game, it was one of the other D&D games I'm playing because I have a few in my pocket that I've been playing. Nice. Mm-hmm. So next prompt, smartest RPG you've played. Some of these are so open to interpretation. I, I actually like took some of these and reworded them or narrowed the scope down for when I posted them on Facebook. I also posted them on Blue Sky, uh, if anyone wants to follow me on Blue Sky. I think I follow you I follow Blue you Sky. on Blue Sky. Look at us. Look at all of these Blue, Sky. blue yeah. skis over here. Yeah, the blue skis. <laughs> That's good. Doing our skeets. You know, skeeting our skeets. <laughs> Getting all up in these skeets. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. I like that. It's better than toots. I'm oh, just... that's so bad. I will jump in. So this one was interesting to me because smartest RPG you've ever played basically always makes me think of the um, PBTA move that impressed me the most. Like that was, I felt like was one of the mm -hmm. smartest ones I'd ever encountered, um, which is in Passione de, Pas de la Passiones, right? And it, it is specifically the move, oh, I should have looked it up before we started recording, but it is specifically the move where you accuse someone of lying because it works in reverse the, than the way you might expect. When you accuse someone of lying, you roll to see if you're right, not to see if you caught them. Oh, that's right? fun. Ah. It's amazing. So if you succeed at your role, then they were lying, no matter what their intention was when they actually did the thing, when it happened in the story, which is um, so perfectly genre um, emulating for Passion de la Passion is it's it is amazing and every time that move comes up at the table it is truly phenomenal. I have not played that one yet, but I've heard very good things about it. Oh man! So last year at UConn, <laughs> um, Eric Bontz was looking for a game for a certain time slot, and I was like, "Oh, Eric, Passion de la Passion is playing. You know, during this slot, you need to go." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "That might be the perfect game for the Weregator." I'm like. It doesn't matter, Eric. Just go play it. And he came back raving about the game. And I don't know how he missed it because I ran it at his birthday party <laughs> before the pandemic when I flew. We flew out for Gator's birthday. I ran that game at his birthday. And there were, you know, there was twins. I don't remember if he was, I don't think he was at the table. He was like in the room. But I'm like, how did he not play in that game? <laughs> Right, like there were evil twins. There was like a whole business mastermind thing happening. 
It was great. I have never, I have never not had a wonderful time with that game. It also has really phenomenal quote death mechanics. Like when you're taken out, um, you come, you have so many ways that you can come back into the game, which include things like amnesia and like they're just. It's really brilliant, and it is so. It's the most soap opery thing ever. <laughs> Do they have the missing twin option? There are two. There's a playbook that is just the evil twin. <laughs> so you, when you pick up the evil twin playbook, you just identify someone else at the table, and you are their twin. But you're the evil one, and then you have to define things like what is the one way that you can be told apart. You know, I have a mole under my left ear, or whatever. <laughs> it's amazing. It's really a, is. It's a very smart game. Anyway, can't recommend it highly enough. I really love it. I think this this dovetails into my choice, my answer for this question, because PBTA games that are made well for the genre they're trying to bring to the table. Yes, do this, and mine is masks. Yes, because there is. It masks just, and I say this as somebody who loves superhero games and has played a lot of different superhero games, nothing nails that young teenage superhero game quite like Masks does. There's just something about the way the playbooks are put together, the way the moves work, the way you take the conditions as stuff happens. It just all works so well to emulate that these characters are coming of age with superpowers. How do they deal with it? I think the thing that makes me just impresses the hell out of me about that game always is the conditions as emotional impact, because that's really what the game is about. Yeah. Instead of like taking damage it is really smart. I, I was just going to say really quickly before I ask Chris his, I like still remember the one that you ran for us on. She's a super geek because <laughs> there was the, the genius moment that we ended yeah. up doing a perfect story structure of like, I know you think you can do this. <laughs> I know you think you're but ready you for this, but you're not. But you're not. <laughs> you know? And it, I carry that with me, like, in my heart. <laughs> I, I am so glad forever. that is that is still out there to be listened to, because occasionally oh my God. I'll tell somebody, if you want to know what masks is like, listen to this. You just, just if you want to hear me GM, listen to this. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Chris, tell, tell me about yours, because I am sneakily looking ahead at the notes, and I also think it's a genius answer. Uh, Swords Without Master. Yeah, it is definitely a story game and the reason that it's such a genius thing is like it's not about whether you succeed or lose it's about the tone that is being set whether it's grim or jovial and it's about the phase that you're in and then who gets to roll the dice and who gets to narrate the perilous phase where you're just letting whoever's running the game I forget what the, the name of the person is whatever it is the, the game master is facilitating the game they just make your life worse but they can't kill you because your character can't be killed unless you choose to have your character killed and they can't really take any of the things away from you that are on your sheet. So, like, they just make your life worse and worse and worse until you decide to step in, roll the dice, and then narrate based on what you've rolled. Now, you can roll terrible, and there can be uh, situations where things go wrong, but it's really just a way to tell a really fun um, story. Although, it can get out of hand if you are not, aren't all on the same page. Like, it can... If you want to tell a sword and sorcery story, you have to decide to tell a sword and sorcery story. If you want to tell something that's over the top anime, you can do that because there's nothing that says it. You can't. It's great. Love that game. So smart. There are moments in movies that always make me think about that specific mechanic. Oh man, the rogues phase. I'm like, it's totally a rogues phase. You just look <laughs> like, at the thing. Like, yeah. like, no, but I mean like, like uh, the moment in um, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, right? Where like, we're like, I'm like sitting there in the audience, like, 
waiting for Captain Marvel. Like, come on, where is Captain Marvel? No, and they just keep <laughs> narrating and narrating. I'm like, just roll the damn dice. <laughs> I know, right? Just make the entrance. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's one of those moments. Can I, for can, me. I, can I give a second one? I want to give a second one. You can give an honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, public access is the smartest horror game I've ever seen in my entire life because of how it... That's your current darling as far as I'm aware. Oh, man, I love that game. There's there's nothing I can think of that's bad about it. And it's <laughs> it's smart because it does it does the mystery thing from Brindlewood Bay, which is great. I love that mystery thing. Like, that is there to the figure it out by putting the clues together and, like, coming up with an answer. Perfectly fine. It's about the day move and the night move, though, about how you ask the character, what are you afraid is going to happen if you fail or lose your nerve? Because... I don't have to guess as a game master what you're scared of. You're just going to tell me. And then the night move, I just get to make it worse. So <laughs> it's brilliant because I don't have to worry about trying to figure out what you're afraid of. You're just going to tell me. And that is way more engaging. And in a lot of ways, there, there are other mechanics that, that do similar things and like engage players, which is why that game's so smart. But that right there kind of makes the game about not necessarily like me trying to terrify you, but you trying to be as creepy as possible as a player for the rest of the table. That is often what we end up getting into with a lot of the questions and whatnot, because we're all just playing way too hard in that game right now, at least in the one group. It ain't great <laughs> for them. It's a lot of fun. It's a terrible horror story, but it's not good for those characters. Those characters are messed up. <laughs> Let's move on to our next one. Uh, a favorite character. I'm going to start with this one. Uh, my favorite character. And if you listen to any of my podcasts, you've heard me talk about her. It's Dove, uh, i.e. Isabella Vermolen, from the City of Cowles campaign. My uh, friend Tristan is running in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. She is one of my absolute favorites, and she's on the wall behind me. Not that you listeners can see it, but she's, <laughs> she's on the wall. We can see it. We can just yeah. confirm. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Uh, you can hear me playing him right now. His name is Silas Flameworth on... Uh... Misdirected Mark plays the Children of the Shroud. It's probably the the best fleshed out character that has ever that I've ever played, and I've played some fun characters that I've enjoyed, but not like this. Not with a game master and a group that was as willing to facilitate some of the storytelling stuff that I've always wanted to put inside of a role playing game. I am definitely enjoying listening to you play him. So, if that's thank you, if that is worth anything, and someone who has some experience with actual play. Yes. Uh, it's like it. actually kind of a huge compliment, so I, I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> um, this one is challenging for me always because I frequently play characters for short periods of time. So I'm potentially torn about three ways, um, right? Because you never kind of forget your first love. My first character, who was um, Shelzy Oakjumper, and she was a kender, and that's probably should have tipped me off to the fact that I have ADHD like <laughs> long before I got diagnosed, right? <laughs> But, you know, there's that. Um, uh, there was Idella Mifflindar, who is like the reason that I have that handle all over the place. Um, I played a whole series of characters pretty much like her, which was just like, I like being a neutral, neutral rogue, like true neutral rogue. Let's do it. L look, look, that name. We all were like, what the fuck is this like years ago? And now we're just like, yeah, it's, that's normal. We all understand what it means now. <laughs> Except that on Blue Sky, I was like, you know, I could have my actual name. And then I did. And then I was like, this feels weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Um, and then the one other one. Uh, I damn it. I'm I can't even there's 
there's four. Okay, there's four. Okay. Then there was Stacy, who's who's you can't see in the picture behind me, right up here, who was my Tales from the Loop character, because that game left a pretty strong impression, I think, on all of us who played it. And then I'm currently playing Aveline de Chatillon, and she's basically a cyberpunk slash sci-fi slash three musketeers uh black widow spy i am in love with all of these genres matched together senda it this game is real good and <laughs> and it's taking place in the court of louis the 13th but like with also sci-fi future time travel stuff having happened back to the court it's pretty cool but yes she's pretty great i'm a fan that was way too many answers <laughs> when I put this one on Facebook, I I whittled it down to favorite character you're currently playing. Because right, because yeah, I mean how? I have I have gamers in my circle who have been playing for forty plus years. Yeah, I, I hear a rumor that your that last character they mentioned Senda, has like a harem of admirers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a girl doesn't kiss and tell, but. Her seduction is a D12. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Moving on. The weirdest <laughs> game you've played. Senda, I'm starting with you. For me, it was Tales from the Loop, which starts with a pretty interesting premise that's a little bit weird. I am. This is definitely weird from a content perspective, right? Like, not weird. I mean, in terms of how I'm answering it is what I'm saying. Not so much weird from a mechanical perspective. Mm -hmm. Just for clarity's sake. While Tales from the Loop itself has a pretty weird premise like some just weird mystery stuff the 80s that never were the 80s that never was um our particular game got a lot weirder and by the time we were into sort of a things from the flood era we were ending up on the moon occasionally and um <laughs> one of the characters turned out to be half insectoid alien it was my fiance i didn't end up marrying him because he ate my dad so you know that sounds like a bad day to be fair it was more like my dad got killed in front of me. I don't remember. I might have killed him. It turned out he was very evil. And I don't think that I did. I think somebody else did. And then my fiance, his mandibles came out and he was just like, are you going to eat that? <laughs> None of this sounds like a good day for that character. You still, you haven't convinced me. It yet. wasn't a good day for her. She did not end up marrying him. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a yeah, bad but day. We were still engaged until like the very end of the game. Anyway. Um, so Tales from the Loop for me got, as you can tell, a little bit off the, off the rails. <laughs> it was pretty wild and I loved it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Ange, what was your weirdest? So mine, I'm probably going to give it to Descent into Midnight, uh, which is a PBTA game put together by Rich Howard and some friends. It kickstarted a while ago. They, for reasons, you know, i.e. pandemic and life and a lot of reasons, they haven't finished the Kickstarter, so they haven't, haven't fulfilled yet. But it was something I got to play as a playtest at Gen Con in 2017. And I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it because we were playing uh, sapient undersea creatures trying to save our society. And like we all made very weird sea creatures because the whole concept is, you know, it's not that you're a, a mermaid or a fish or something. Combine all of these undersea concepts together and make a, a species. And that's what you're playing. And, you know, why are you, you know, what are you what are you fighting against to try and save your society and your culture with your your other weird sea creature friends? It's really good. I hope they finish it soon because I really want that book. Yeah, I had fun playing that one, too. <laughs> yeah. I also just, you know, 
like the people working on that game. I hope it gets done. Yeah. Yes. Too. Yeah. Me too. What about you, Chris? Uh, DCC is a player dungeon crawl classics. The game's weird. The adventures are just weird. <laughs> I mean, there's a point where Bob was a set of eyes on a wall, having to blink at us to tell us what was going on. I mean, that's the kind of weird we're talking about. Uh, and then as a game master, public access, because I don't always know what the players are going to say to me or how they're going to solve a thing. For instance, the solve for a mystery called Dog Told Me, which met, which was like there was like a Pennywise, like McGruff the crime dog person running around uh, psychically doing terrible things to people. Uh, they decided that it was a lycanthrope, mutant, bioengineered experiment, that its point was to perpetuate its existence through another person that then Phil's character resolved the mystery by talking to it, realizing that it was just lonely, and making friends with it, which then it turned into a mastiff and is now his companion. Until he dies, and then it gets to keep his soul by its side for forever, right? Uh, I don't think we decided what that actually meant, because it was ter more terrifying to just leave it vague. That's fair. <laughs> it sounded pretty terrifying either way. Yeah, it ain't great. <laughs> but it's got a special move on it where he can use the dog to give him advantage on any role that he wants to but when he does I get hold one and I get to let the dog do whatever it wants with that hold one wow yeah <laughs> moving on ain't great uh, yeah. what is an old game you still play I'll do this quick Dungeon World <laughs> yeah we had to talk about what, yeah, what what we consider an old game what qualifies as old mine is uh, Marvel Saga which is never going to happen because the Marvel license changes hands too frequently although i think it's owned it's currently developed by a company that is owned by marvels but it was a good game it's just that some of the mechanics are a little dated at this point i keep wanting to update it i uh don't really play old games i don't have a history of playing old games to begin with and i'm probably the person who started playing the most recently of everyone sitting on this podcast so that's the funny i part. think you started with fourth edition dnd no i started with third oh okay no, I just tell I just tell stories about fourth edition a lot because it was really funny that I never read the books. But I was like, yeah, whatever. I know D&D. <laughs> and you proved that you did. And I did. And I just asked Andy to fill in all the blanks. Smart. Yeah. It, you know, it worked. I, so I guess I'm going to say protocol. I don't know how old old that actually is. I want to say it's probably around 10 ish years old now. The protocol series of games or protocol a specific game? Not a specific one. Protocol the basis those games are old they're like old. a decade old i interviewed that guy like a decade ago yeah well i mean yeah. it's evolved a little bit since then but i'm like i'm still playing i might be running the one of them later in september i forgot that i played one of these games once like it's it's fun fun game it's a great game did you play the one at qcc with the haba mango no we played at we actually played in my house with some friends just one night i'm like we want to play this game and i threw it pulled it out yeah no, it's great. I love I love running that one. Really facilitating it. You don't have to run it at all. Yeah. What is a favorite convention purchase? Well, I'll go first. I don't have one. Because <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I'm out. Um, yeah. So I think my favorite part of conventions is being able to put my hands upon all of the mm -hmm. books that are um, what would be considered by many definitions. It comes up frequently that indie is not a well-defined word for RPGs, right? But what is usually kind of considered an, an indie RPG, AKA I can't go to my local game store and look at it. So my favorite part of conventions Wait. is actually being able to, not my favorite part, but my favorite purchasing part is being able to look at books. And I usually like to buy my print copies directly from people in person at conventions as a preference over ordering them online. 
So I have a lot of books <laughs> that I bought at conventions. That's I buy game books. I'm just going to start calling those people tiny publishers. Tiny publishers. I like it. If you were three or less people and you have to hire freelancers, you are a tiny publisher. Tiny publisher. That's an interesting way to put it. My answer to this question completely sidesteps the question. The favorite convention purchase is the badge to attend the convention, which has given me the friends I have made along the way. I was going to ask, based on your notes, if you were paying people to be your friends. <laughs> I was going to, too. I had that joke lined up also. I mean, I have, I have talked about if I ever win the lottery big time, I am going to create the Contourage. Sure. Which is the group of people that I pay to come to conventions with me because I'm paying their way sure. to come. But I'm just going to build a commune so that people can come live there and play games with me. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's there too, but I've talked about the Contourage for many, many years now. Mm. You have. What is an unplayed RPG that you own? This is not a fair question. So it is many. completely unfair question. So many. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to give it to uh two games that are a little bit similar in that they're both science fiction BS, Coriolis and Orbital Blues. I have both of those on my shelf and I really really want to play them. I always wanted to play Orbital Blues. It always seems so yeah. interesting. I have it on my shelf also and it's also near the top of my boy. It would be really nice to play this someday when I'm doing campaigns again. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Uh oh, three uh -oh. of us just said that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hey, we got a game. That's almost a commitment. <laughs> Mr. Who's running? <laughs> Sounds like misdirected Mark or whatever the new thing is going to be called. Uh, Ooh, actual spoilers, play thing Chris. coming up. There spoilers. I don't know what talking about. I didn't say anything. <laughs> this is my favorite film cast in a long time. It just, it's so rambly. I was expecting it because it was you know, me and Senda, so it's fine. And I mean, it's just so random sorry. questions pulled from a list. We grabbed eight from a list of 31. <laughs> I, I mean, eight. yeah, have yeah. Nine. I don't know. And this this particular one is so hard for me because actually, hilariously, most of the books that I have in print on my shelf, I have not actually played. And the vast percentage of books that I have in PDF, I have also not played. But every time I sit down to play a game, I go buy a new one. So there's a lot. I own a lot of unplayed RPGs, like so so many but orbital blues is also it's just so pretty yeah. i would like to play it it's absolutely gorgeous i would also like to play space ambulance because i didn't get to play it and i was all prepared <laughs> to play it <laughs> so, so like is this supposed to be you own or you own physically because i don't own that many physical books anymore that's I mean, the problem i don't i think i think own just means that you have it having the pdf in your digital files is the same thing especially nowadays I have like a giant list. It's too many. Right. I have the goblin thing inside of me that I want the physical book. I want the shiny. I want to hold it. But I also need the PDF because I'm probably not going to read the physical book. I'm going to actually read the PDF. <laughs> wait, I, wait, wait. There are two wolves inside you. There are one wolf wants to eat the print book. <laughs> and the other one wants to lick the iPad? Yes, Is that... exactly. Okay, I like that it wants to lick the iPad. That's cute. I was trying to come up with something. No, that was good. That was, that was funny. I was wondering where this was going. I did threaten to lick <laughs> so my friend's I. iPod to claim it as my own when he first got one many years ago. So, Okay, if, if I'm just going to talk about the ones that I would like to play that I own, I suppose. I have Vason. I would like to play that game. I actually run that one a fair amount, so we may be able to make this happen. Yes, yes. I don't want to play a one-shot, though. Like, I'm going to actually run a Vason campaign once I find out how I can do it in my house at some point, because the castle mechanic sounds awesome. It is. It is. That is the one thing I haven't engaged in, because I've been doing it as a one-shot at conventions. And there are definitely mechanics in the game 
that are specifically for campaigns and not for one shots. But uh, Vason, I would like to uh, play into the odd or the black hat because I actually have like this this I didn't play a lot of old school games, but I really love Dungeon World and I have very much enjoyed the times that I've gotten to play like OD&D and stuff. So I'd like at some point I will probably take some time to run like a 10 session like old school game of some sort because it's fun and I'd like to do it because I never have. But I have those, the Black Hack and Into the Atom. One of those two games might be the ones that get there. But Mouse Ritter was pretty popular. Mouse Ritter's like old school with mice. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of games out there that involve playing as mice or other small critters. You know, I asked that question, like, what is the thing with mice? There are so many m- mice games out, mice games out. Yeah, tell me. Tell me, Sunder. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that everyone who is um, f- from an age range of approximately 50 to like 40-ish area. Are we doing the red wall thing? Yeah, we all red walled so hard. Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim is another one too. But like the red wall thing was like, I mean, it was, there's like 50 of those books, right? Like (laughs) I read a lot of them. There's not just mice though, right? It's multiple animals? Yeah, but the mice are the main characters okay i didn't know that i've actually never read red wall i probably should um they're very good books they're very delightful that's what everybody says yeah no but so it is a a the abbey is run by mice are the the mice are the primary default creature type and then there's like also other animals that are also occasionally main characters and stuff right but um but it's really largely mice moving on uh, here's another obnoxious question. Most memorable encounter. Having just had that big conversation about like gaming stories. <laughs> Chris, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. I told a gaming story earlier. If you noticed, I kept it to the thing. The, yeah, the topic was weirdest game and I was yep. succinct about it. Anyways, we were playing Dungeon World. Surprise, surprise. One of the characters is totally a Rainmaker. In fact, he goes by the Rainmaker. His name's Tony. Came up with these dead gods for this ability that a druid has where they can summon elementals he goes and summons the drown god to help with these skeletons that they're fighting in these tunnels like this is a a a spire kind of pillar he rolls a six minus i'm like hmm what should i do i know i look at them i say it starts raining in the tunnel and then i cut away (laughs) go to somebody else or somewhere else i come back to them after about three minutes four minutes i'm like it's raining a lot harder now and there is like water rushing all around you Phil's character looks at the Rainmaker and says, I'm going to kill you, Tony, after we get out of here, as he loses his battle axe in the water, as he rolls like a seven to nine. I'm like, oh, you lose your sword. He's like, damn it. (laughs) I cut away from them. I cut back. The thing is like filled with water flowing down. They're all trying not to die and drown in this place. I love that encounter. I tell that story all the time. It's good. I'm done now. No, it's a good encounter. Very good. And you go next. Very first campaign. I ever started running was second edition Mutants and Masterminds. I had no idea what I was doing, but it's I'd been playing long enough. I had an idea of what campaigns are supposed to be like. And this was supposed to be the big finale fight of their first part of the campaign, escaping from an underwater lab where they had been experimented upon and given superpowers. And they're in an underwater lab and it's starting to flood and they need to get to a submarine. And oh, no, there's the previous group that was experimented on. And now you need to fight to figure out who gets to leave. And, you know, they started a fight, as you would expect, and it was going about as well as could be for a relatively new GM. 
uh, running a game like that. And then one of my players was like, kind of took stock of the situation. And he's like, I'm going to punch a hole in the outer wall. And I'm like, uh, okay, why? Why? He's like, because I want the water to start flooding in even faster. And I was like, uh, okay, roll, roll, roll to hit the wall with your super strength. And we got a theme here now: water rushing yeah, into places. Yeah. Of course he does. The water starts rushing in, and he basically gets everyone's attention and says, "Look, if we work together, we can all get out of here." And in that moment, he completely derailed this big combat I was expecting to run for something that was way more interesting. He basically offered this other group all jobs if they were to work together to get out because they could figure out who could actually survive in the water and get up to the surface without getting the bends. Everyone else squeezes into the little sub. They get up. Everyone's out. No problem. And it made the campaign so much more interesting. And I was such a newbie GM that I'm like, I don't know if I did that right or wrong. I know today I did it right, but it's it was still very much a memorable thing and a good trial by fire as a new GM. That is a trial by fire yeah. as a new GM. My story I have told before, and it is that we were specifically as a D&D crew, very standard D&D in a dungeon. We had gone into the dungeon specifically to find a magical crown. As soon as we went into the dungeon, we started finding magical crowns everywhere and they all looked the same. And we were informed that if we took the wrong one out of the dungeon with us, it would be a nuclear level explosion. So we were highly motivated to find the correct crown before we left. As we were leaving, we discovered that the big bad lich bad guy had beat us to the exit of the cave, murdered all of our horses and was standing there waiting for us and demanded that we hand over the correct crown to him, at which point we instead ducked back into the dungeon and our um, mage, who was a seven-year-old human girl, that was her character, <laughs> used mage hand to launch one of the fake crowns at the lich, and we all ducked back inside. So this is my memorable encounter of how we killed a lich with mage hand. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that story a lot, actually. I've heard it multiple times. Yeah, it's one of the ones that comes up a lot. Like I have two really memorable ones and it's my first character death and then killing a lich with mage hand because it's one of those moments where you're like, ha, ha, ha. that's like what a, a cantrip now yep. or a, it's a level one spell at most. Yeah, As this is a game mastering advice show. I will say to the game masters out there in the world, if you've listened to those three stories, you will note that no game master did anything there. It was all player enacted. Yeah. Those are all the cool encounters. Those when players yep. do wacky things. Mm -hmm. And you yep. just roll with it and make yeah, it, just do it memorable. Your job as a GM mm -hmm. is to set up a cool opportunity for your players to do cool things. Oh, they'll send a list down because there wasn't any water. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking okay. about that. Even you if I told the down. other story, there still wouldn't I mean, have been the water, the was liquefied. Only blood. The lich <laughs> So it was like the surrounding countryside. Yes. Glass. <laughs> yes, it was a bit of a crater. Uh, okay. Yeah. The only Glass. bummer part is that the game then ended because... <laughs> you killed the, bag, the big yeah. bad end guy for the campaign. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we didn't get to keep playing the game. <laughs> Seven-year-old girl destroys wit Lich. Yeah. And campaign. And campaign. But it's memorable and everyone remembers it. Oh, it's very memorable. <laughs> okay. Last question. We'll still play in 20 years time. I love that we all interpreted this question a little bit differently too. Yeah. Right. The question is the question, will we still be playing or is the question, what will we be playing? <laughs> I wrote it exactly as worded. Uh -huh. um, I, this is one I rephrased. Mm -hmm. um, I, I rephrased it as what will your, 
what will your RPG gaming life look like in 20 years? Oh, yeah. Because I think that was more of what I got out of the question or what more of what I got out of the prompt. And I was like, if I'm still here, I'll still be gaming. Right? Yeah. I'll play Dungeon World in 20 years' time. <laughs> that game doesn't get old for me. Although there may be a second edition by that point. I, I mean, I might have to write it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. This needs to be combined somewhere. So much. I can't imagine not playing, right? Like, yeah. the, the, trying to imagine future me as, like, a Senda who doesn't ever game. That's weird. I can't imagine that person. This is a silly question to ask to a bunch of podcasters been game, who've been writing about and talking about on podcasts gaming for the last like decade. Yeah. You know, yeah. One of the things I struggled with when I put this question out there is I, I have friends that game of all ages. You know, yeah. so asking this of some of the 20-somethings is like, yeah, sure, they'll be in their 40s. It's no problem. I will be 74. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, if I am here, you damn well better believe I'm going to still be gaming. 63? I'll just be retiring. No, I'm never retiring, so never mind. <laughs> this depressing state of the world. <laughs> Anyways. My hope is that whatever retirement community I end up in, in my infirmity, that, you know, it's going to be some place where I can get more people to play games with me, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, we'll just hang out and play games. Yeah. Like, we won't have anything else to do. See, then when you're, like, that old... Playing Tales from the Loop will actually be like novel. It could be like, oh yeah, we'll play teenagers even though we're like senior citizens. I mean, it's I've been playing teenagers since I was a teenager. So it's, it's got a different feel. I love that that what what's the what's the what's the obnoxious word? Bill Dung's Roman? It, it, it's a it's a word. It's talking about basically kids going to school and you know, coming of age and that type of thing. I love that stuff. I love Tales from the Loop. I love getting to play Young Justice or Masks or that type of thing. Getting to play teenagers who are still figuring all this crap out. Because to be completely honest, this whole adult thing is an illusion. Super overrated. It's all pretend. None of us have any idea what we're doing. You just learn how to roll with the punches a little better as you get older. You just have to pay taxes. Yeah, pretty much. There is a line from a song that I... um. I, I think about more than you would think about normally a single line from a song, but it goes, I'm a little kid riding inside a mechanical adult. <laughs> and I just feel that in yes. so many ways. Yes. I'm shaking my head. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's get ourselves out of here. This show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You too can be a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link of the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Coffee Plus 4, the coffee shop for gamers. Just want to hang out and chat about games? Come on over to our little cafe and enjoy some tasty bean-based beverages and chat about whatever comes to mind for your gaming. And don't forget your dice because you never know when a game will break out. This place needs to exist. You got to stop making these ads about places that need to exist. It No, 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 no. It does exist, but it's not called Coffee Plus Four. It's called Enchanted Grounds. There are two of them in Denver, and I love them. I don't have any here. <laughs> well, what's wrong with you? There's, there's a place in Columbus, <laughs> Ohio that's a bar. With games, sure. We There's have a place two. here in Buffalo that has a, that's a coffee shop with a, with that's a gaming lounge too. I shouldn't complain. Rochester doesn't have any of those. We've got a bar that'll do magic tournaments and trivia, but that's about it. Anyway, if you're enjoying <laughs> the Gnome Cash, or probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows, here's one to check out. Yeah, on the misdirected Mark plays podcast, Fis Fis Fis. Who's Fis? I don't know that person. 
That's that's this is the chimera. The chimera of half. Now I'm now I'm horrified. I can't get out of my head. It hurts. Let's let's take that one more time, shall we? Uh, sure. On misdirected mark plays Chris. Oh, damn it. I need to read On misdirected Mark plays, Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry play and discuss a campaign they've created and are playing. Now, instead of just hearing them talk about the theory of gaming and game mastering of the games they're playing, you can actually hear what they do at the table. It's come full circle in their exploratory play series, MM Plays. And if you like the smooth sound of Chris's voice, that's the same Chris, just in case you were wondering. That is probably the cleanest read of that blurb I've ever heard on either this one or Thacka with Advantage. I don't know that I wrote it. I think Cherry wrote it. I don't remember it. who wrote, but I think that it's Frisbobbery. There we go. Frisbobbery? That's fair. Yeah. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Eventually, we'll have GnomeStew on Blue Sky, but I haven't gotten there yet. Gnomes, is there anything else you'd like to give a shout out to today? Yeah, I do. So, uh, Sean P. Kelly, on his How To RPG channel... Just released a great video all about Vasan or Vasan or however you pronounce it. I have no idea. I heard it pronounced four different ways on that video. Vasan, Vasan. One of the guys was able to do, you know, a Swedish inflection that I can't reproduce. I heard Vasan, but he had three game masters on there that have all run a bunch of Vasan or Vasan, and uh, it's really well put together. Like it's he edited it like a like a um, documentary. I'm like, oh, it's really good, Sean. Good job. That's really, really good. Uh, I'm also going to give a shout out to a video. Um, Seth Skorkowski is one of my favorite RPG related YouTubers, and he recently started a series on ways to be a better player. Uh, his most recent video uh, was called Great Player Mindset and talks all about how to be a better player at the table with how you approach the game and your fellow players and all of the other things. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Links will be in the show notes. I watched this nice. video last night. We watched each other's videos. Oh, there you go. It's a good video, by the way. Um, I'm actually just going to call out really quickly. I feel like if you're listening to this show, you probably know about this, have probably maybe even done this already. But we talk about Powered by the Apocalypse a lot. And when we talk about Powered by the Apocalypse, right now we have to talk about the Baker family for starting that game. And um, Megway, unfortunately, um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's just had surgery. Um, and they are going through a lot um, as she's in recovery. Um, it sounds pretty good for the moment, as far as I can glean from the internet. So, you know, fingers remain crossed. But um, we'll have a link to their meal train in the show notes for this episode. So if you are so inclined to chip in for a family that's had a really large influence, I think, on modern gaming, we will have that link there for you. If you've ever played any Powered by the Apocalypse game, any Powered by the Apocalypse game, you have them to thank for that game eventually getting to the table yep that family and megary herself is one of the most important game designers in the last 20 years yes yeah. by far yeah i can say that i, I will die on that hill. yeah without even so. without even blinking or equivocating in any way yes yeah <laughs> right good so i think i think this episode was good enough that we don't need to go into the stew especially since i have two pots and i need to figure out which one is the better pot to use okay but the one that i put in storage yeah go get it yeah but it's dented now chris yeah but look at a trap door in the bottom you need that i don't know that you need it anyway we're done 